previously on The Lost Carnival. This is the spot where Papu Anjanu found a magical egg, a phoenix egg. From the, the phoenix that came from the egg, it gave the, the Anjanu carnival its power. A wonderful carnival, already so magical before, is now alive with the most entrancing, enchanting energy. So what we're looking at here, we've got the actual main body of the newspaper, but somebody has taken a pair of scissors to the thing and there's hardly anything left of, of the pages where the articles should be. I've never seen it before. Someone has been tampering. I found the obituary of Mr. Angenou, Papa Angenou's father. The phoenix was stolen. I mean, it, seemed, it sounds really sad. He died of broken heart, really. Maybe there was some truth in that phoenix story. Maybe it wasn't just a marketing spin. So here's the thing, uh, I've heard from Mark, the academic, who fled from that cafe back in the first instalment and um, he's been keeping a low profile but he's been in touch to say he wants to meet and he wants to meet in this multi-storey car park, it's all fabulously intriguing, he said to look out for a uh, a black Renault, a small black Renault, is that it? Ah, that's the one. There he is. He's in there. Oh, Mark. Arthur, how on earth are you? Oh, I'm fine, fine. How are you, how are you more importantly? Well, I'm rather good, actually. I had a bit of a fright at the cafe, obviously. But for all that, I must say, I'm rather enjoying all this. Being a historian's all well and good, you know, but... It does get a bit, um... Past tense, maybe? <laughs> Indeed, Arthur. Indeed. <laughs> and um, from what you told me on the phone about the phoenix and those newspapers being snipped at, well, it's all so exciting. And now this... Well, yes, tell me, what what is this? You said you were sworn to secrecy on the telephone. Ah, well, yes, sort of. Um, I might be allowing the drama to get me a touch, but she did ask me to only speak to you about her in person. So tell me, who is she? Well, let me show you this, first of all. It's the letter I got from her. Isn't that the most beautiful handwriting? And the paper is exquisite, the finest vellum. Yes. It's... Yes, well, perhaps that's something for us papyrophiles. <laughs> so, anyway, yes. it, it arrived out of the blue, and um, she asked me to take you with me to Casablanca. It, in, it, in Morocco? Yes, yes, it's where she lives, apparently. And, and what's curious is that she knew that I'd lived there myself as a young research student. <laughs> How on earth she knew that, I can't fathom. It's nigh on 40 years ago. <laughs> 40 years? Y yes. Really? Yes, yes, can you imagine? But she says that she has vital information for you and she wants me to accompany you as your ears and eyes. She even knows about my smattering of Arabic, apparently. I've, um, I've spoken to Myrtle and she's happy for me to go. M Myrtle? My wife. Oh, fearsome thing. Sharp as a tack. 
Why she's with me, I've no idea. I see, but who is she? Merkel? I've just said she's my wife. No, no, sorry. I mean, the woman in Casablanca, who is she? Well, there's the really intriguing thing. I recognised her name. Dorothea Gellhorn. But I, I couldn't place it for the moment. And then it came to me. That was the name of the great journalist who spent years following the carnivals round back in their heyday. She was a legend. Dorothea Gellhorn, you say? Yes, she was a legend. She was. This, well, oh, well, Arthur, it's just too tantalising. I mean, it can't really be her, of course, but we must go and see her. And, no, oh, she doesn't want to see me. Well, I'd love to be able to come along with you, if that's all right. Of course, Mark, I'd be delighted to have you come with oh, me. Oh, and uh, uh, there's just the one thing. And what's that? Casablanca, it's in Africa. Yes, but it's only four hours away. Well, four hours on a plane, perhaps. Well, yes. Only I hate planes. I'm an aviophobe. Ah, oh. oh, indeed. That's the bags packed, and uh, I'm excited about this journey now. Uh, Mark's kindly given me some old newspapers with articles by Dorothea Gellhorn in, and uh, a little book written in the 1930s about her. She was she was an incredible character. She was inspired by the great Nellie Bly, a female journalist who um, smuggled herself into asylums, who travelled the world in fewer than 80 days to prove that that could be done even though the editors at the time were saying that it would be dangerous, particularly for a woman, to travel on her own. And uh, she proved them all wrong. And, and Dorothea, Dorothea Gellhorn, was, as I say, very much inspired by that, but forged her own path and um, was very involved in political journalism in the 1920s, but also uh, working out and uh, exposing criminals in the poor east end of London and getting to know all the, the people who lived in the streets there and all sorts of other adventures that she, she had and, and, and quite dangerous uh, episodes that she had as well. There was one time uh, she spent three weeks in Glasgow and um, uh, pretending to be homeless and she wrote an article which led to all sorts of social reforms uh, but in the process was was beaten a couple of times and uh, had all sorts of abuse thrown at her. But yeah, nonetheless she, she carried on uh, steadfastly and she actually specialised in the 1920s in carnivals it was it started off as something of light relief for her from the from the hardcore journalism that she was doing but actually it, it bewitched her and she became something somewhat obsessed by it by all accounts and I'm looking at these articles that there are scores of them um, following the fortunes of of different families and and traveling around Europe and following the the fortunes of the different families as if they were football teams and and there's a real love of the subject and a, a real evocation of the of the life of the carnival. Here's one article from the 1920, 1924, where she's talking about a different family, not the Ingenues. The Maxwells, this was a, a Scottish carnival family. She writes that they created a, a liminal, spectral space in which the further reaches of the imagination were fired and stoked by a series of 
mind-bending performances and, and illusions. And she writes later that she, she went away from the evening with a sense that a part of her soul that she hadn't known existed before, but had been there forever, had been glimpsed that the curtain had been pulled back and she'd seen its face, and it was a face that would stay with her forever. Oh, this is marvellous. Who would have thought we could get a cabin on a cargo ship? <laughs> it's so much more fun than a plane. Here, here, take my picture with the lights of Portugal in the background there. Oh, Myrtle will love that. Yes, another another photograph? Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. Say, Phoenix. Phoenix! There you go. So, Arthur, what about yourself? Is there a myrtle in your life? No, actually, Mark. I I suppose I've just been a bit busy all these years, you know, with work and so on. I've kind of thrown myself at that, I guess. Do you mind if I join you? I just joined the ship and there don't seem to be many others travelling. No, well, it's just us, I think, and, uh, well, I'm delighted that once where there were two, now there stand three. (laughs) I'm Mark, by the way, and uh, this is Arthur. Hi. I'm Medea. That's an unusual name. It's it's a a lovely name, sorry. It's a lovely and unusual name, sorry. My parents were Greek. They brought me up on all those old stories of people endlessly wandering around on ships having adventures. Looks like it rubbed off. So, are you, uh, you're here on, on your own? I, I mean, on your adventure, I mean, on your, on your own. You all right, Arthur? Uh, I'm, I'm fine, Mark. Too, too much sea air, perhaps. Well, it becomes you, if you don't mind me saying, especially in this moonlight. I, I don't mind at all. Uh, so... Anyway, what adventure are you on? I'm off to visit the Casablanca Medina. I've never been to Africa, you see, and I'm dying to see the ancient city. I've read so much and poured over all those wonderful pictures of ancient alleyways that wrap around themselves. Oh. It's beguiling. It really is. What about you two? Uh, uh, well, uh, we're on something of an adventure ourselves. <laughs> You don't mind me telling her, do you, Arthur? It can't do any harm, can it? We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. (laughs) Well, two brothers and a sister, maybe. (laughs) Arthur. (laughs) Shakespeare. (laughs) Henry V, Arthur. (laughs) I I knew that. Well, I sort of. Don't worry. I don't generally go for the literary types. Anyway, speaking of literary tales, do tell It'll help pass the time. Well, it began well, when I... It began... Got, uh, sorry, Mark. Uh, it began on Christmas Day, you mm-hmm. see. I received this wax cylinder at my door. A wax cylinder? Yes, one of those old things they recorded voices on. Edison, I think, was the one who invented them. Oh. Anyway, it had the voice of this little girl on it. She was called Papa Wangin, and she was the daughter of one of the So, here it is, Casablanca. 
the Medina, the old city, it's, uh, it's just full of this energy and these smells and these wonderful alleyways and pathways that lead who knows where. You can just glimpse the massive old mosque that stands on the, uh, on the coastline there. And beyond that, the Atlantic Ocean, which we were just sailing on a few small hours ago. Mark and Medea have just headed off to do some shopping and sightseeing. She's quite... Um, uh, but yeah, anyway, Mark has shown me the way to Dorothea Gellorn's house. It's just up here. And um, I'm, uh, I'm pretty trepidatious. I'm here now, so what's the worst that can happen? Right. In through here, I think. This beautiful old, really old courtyard and this fantastic terracotta plaster work here. There we go. I, I presume this is the right door. Let's see. Good morning. Is uh, Dorothea Gellhorn here? Come through. She's expecting you. Thank you. Beautiful day. It's gorgeous out there, isn't it? This is a beautiful place you have. How long have you uh, been living here? Oh, many, many years now. It suits me well. People can't find me unless I want them to. I see. And what was it that made you want to see me then? You interest me, Arthur. You have done for some time. Tell me, what was it like growing up without a family? That must have been hard. Sorry, I, I don't understand. You want to talk to me about my childhood? Every story begins there, does it not? And your story was particularly sad, I think. Parents nowhere to be seen. No brothers or sisters to speak of. Being moved around from home to home. I wonder whether that's why you're all alone now. No wife or girlfriend. No boyfriends. No children. I'm flattered by your interest, but I've come an awfully long way to see you and psychological analysis I can live without, to be honest. You told Mark you had information that was relevant to my investigation. I don't believe my childhood is relevant to anything. Oh, but you're wrong, Arthur. That's the problem with the modern age. All this information at your fingertips makes you think you know it all. But you are mistaking information for knowledge. You fail to see the bigger picture and the patterns at play within. So that's what you do here, is it? Set yourself apart from the world so you can spy the patterns. You should get amongst it once in a while. You'd see it's a lot harder to be quite so clever. Oh, trust me. I spent longer amongst it, as you say, than you can imagine. Well, there's something you can reveal to me with all your precious knowledge. What's that? Mark tells me you claim to be a reporter who followed the carnival scene round for years, and the Ingenue family in particular. Well, what of it? Well, let's say you were, at the very youngest, 
25 maybe, perhaps 30 years old back then, that would make you roughly 110, 120 years old now. And you may not be in the first flush of youth, but you're certainly no centurion. Perhaps you ought to tell me the truth about who you really are and what it is you're up to. Oh, Arthur, I'm exactly who I say I am. Here. See this picture of me from back then? Well, a picture of your mother, maybe. You see the birthmark on her cheek, in the shape of a heart. Funny how I have exactly the same mark. Anyone could doctor a photograph. Oh, Arthur, stop it. You know in your heart I am who I say I am. How that's possible is a detail you may consider relevant, as you say. A detail? That's some detail. I saw the phoenix, Arthur. I held it. Its power was incredible. All who came near it were charged by the fire in its heart. That is why I'm still here. And the others. What others? The people in the carnival, the ingenue troupe, and of course, Popu. And I'm afraid, the birds. This is absurd. Are you, are you trying to tell me that Popu is still alive? Very much so. Or at least I have no reason to think otherwise. When the birds stole the phoenix, I was there. Papu swore to me that she'd never rest until she got it back. I watched as the carnival collapsed, as her father died, as her heart broke. And I watched as the birds left the carnival behind them and left for America. Sometimes I think I've seen too much. Long life is not always the blessing you might imagine. So tell me then, just for the sake of humouring me, if nothing else, what became of the birds? They became very powerful, set up in business, became a huge corporation, with the phoenix in their midst, even held against its will, nothing could stop them. For decades they'd grown stronger and more secretive, but now they seem to be breaking ground. And do you know why? Well, of course not. I presume you do. Well, as a matter of fact, I'm not entirely sure myself. But I know that you and your involvement in this story are somehow key to it. If I were you, I'd go home and quiz Hamish a little more. Hamish? The, the ringmaster from the Lost Carnival? He seemed a little, well, too distracted to know anything. I fear it was you being deliberately distracted. You were perhaps seduced by his charms too easily, Arthur. Don't feel bad, though. He always was the most beguiling of characters. Popo's favourite, though she'd never admit it. You mean Hamish? Yes. Hamish was there, too. They all were. The phoenix, you see. More pressing, though. And the reason I wanted to see you was, I'm afraid for you, Arthur. I've watched you since you were very small, and I'm one of only a tiny handful of people who knew who you really are. The others, your parents, watch you too, but from a distance. Now they've passed away. They wanted me to tell you how sorry they were, not to have been able to be there for you. 
that they brought you to England to put you out of harm's way where nobody could find you. How... how do you know all this? I'm a journalist, Arthur. It's my job to know things. I know, too, who they were hiding you from. Tell me, who, who was it? The rest of the family. The Bird family. Your parents hated them more than anyone and hated their corruption, their violence. But your mother was a bird herself and so could never find a way to break free. She wouldn't allow that to happen to you, so smuggled you away. But there aren't enough oceans or skies or continents in the world to run away from your bloodline, from who you are. You are a bird too. And though you remained unknown for years, now you've become a part of this story. They're taking a closer look. You're going to have to look deep within, Arthur, and decide one way or the other which side you're on. You knew my parents? You knew my parents? I did. And perhaps later this evening we'll talk more about them. For now, though, I must rest. I am, as you pointed out, a very old woman who's been too long parted from the power of the phoenix. I wish you a good day. Rowena, please show this gentleman out. Hi, hi, how, how are you two? Oh, well, we're fine, absolutely fine. Do you know, we will struggle getting all those <laughs> knick-knacks we oh, bought onto the Oh, never mind ship. that. Oh, how was it? Oh. What was she like? Yes, and, and did she explain how she came to have the same name as that journalist? Well, she, she says she is that journalist. That what? She is the same person. What? How does she figure that? It's the phoenix again. She held it like the others. It's kept her alive all these years. But what did she want to tell you? What could possibly be so important that she needed a personal audience? Well, it turns out she says that I'm one of the birds. No. Yet the family that stole the phoenix, that sabotaged the ingenues, their blood's running through my veins. And what does she say that means? She says it means I'm got to make a choice. Choose my side between the birds and the Anjanou family. Like, there's some sort of battle to be fought. Well, that's extraordinary. And? And what? Well, which side will you choose? I don't know. I, I haven't had time to re... Well, do you know what? Actually, I don't need any time. There's no contest at all. You know, the birds may be family, but they've never done anything for me. They've brought nothing but trouble and heartache into this world and into the life of Poppy. I wouldn't choose their side if they put the thumbscrews on. That's very brave. Are you certain? Absolutely. So brave and so stupid. What? I, I, I don't understand. Does this make it any clearer? Arthur! She's got a gun! You've chosen the wrong side, Arthur. Such a pity. I rather liked you. <laughs> 